Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, uh, the well-known story of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Nor bless his reading of his word. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Sue, as well. And um, Sue mentioned that we have uh, some new members. Um, It's our tradition often around communion time to to welcome uh, new members. And so I'm really pleased to say that uh, Lindsay Wilson, who is online today, uh, and also Joe and Becca um, have joined us as new members, so we're delighted about that. Uh, keep that passage open with you now. If you uh, have it in a Bible, of course, everything will be on the screen as well as we come to think about this parable that Jesus told. Let me pray again. Heavenly Father, we have spoken much of your word already today. We have prayed that you would speak to us through it. Um, Lord, we're so grateful that you're a God who has spoken and not left us in the dark. And so, Lord, we pray that we'd come to appreciate the good news of Jesus all the more today as we read these ancient words, these famous words that your son, the Lord Jesus, spoke. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, what is the most famous story ever told? Maybe it's this. Two households, both alike in dignity, 
in fair Verona where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. That's Romeo and Juliet. And uh, don't think too highly of me. I got through my English A-level by watching the films instead of reading the books. So I definitely wasn't doing that from memory. Maybe it's that. Or maybe it's war and peace. Or great expectations. Or maybe it's something else. The best stories, of course, are, are the ones that have not just a tale to tell, but something to say. They tell us something deep and true about life. And so maybe the most famous story ever told is, uh, I don't know, the hare and the tortoise, or the boy that cried wolf. I'd make a case, though, that the most famous story ever told is actually this one. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell among robbers, as the old authorized version puts it. Now, Jesus was a, a genius of great storytelling. And this one is so famous that it has passed into everyday language. So today, when, when someone performs an act of kindness, we call them a good Samaritan. In fact, that has given birth to a whole organization, the Samaritans. And anyone who callously ignores someone else is said to have passed by on the other side. So this story that Jesus told, it, it might be the most famous one ever, but I think it's also one of the most misunderstood stories. So if you're visiting us today, or maybe you're watching at home, and you wouldn't normally be in this church, or frankly in any church, um, maybe you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, you're still looking at these things and, and thinking about them. Can I say to you that the things that Jesus said and did have turned the world upside down? He is followed by billions, hated by some. In fact, eventually the things that Jesus did and said got him killed. But he has so shaped our world and our culture more than any other individual. So whoever you are, it would be a good idea, wouldn't it, to listen carefully to what Jesus has to say. At very least, to see what you make of it. And to those of you who are more regularly with us, remember that this famous story is still part of Luke's gospel. See, one of the reasons it's so often misunderstood is that we forget it's part of the unfolding account that Luke gives us of Jesus' life. For example, remember last week that we saw in chapter 9, verse 51, that Jesus has set himself on a journey towards Jerusalem, which of course means towards his death on the cross. So, a famous story and a misunderstood story, and to be specific, I reckon it's most often misunderstood because we forget who it was that Jesus told the story it makes a difference, doesn't it, who you're speaking to? You tell different stories to the kids than, than those you tell to your friends around the dinner table. Well, that brings us to point one today. First of all, we meet an interesting character. Who is he? Well, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal 
life. He's an expert in the law, so he's a lawyer, which just goes to show that wherever you are in life, you cannot get away from lawyers, even in the Bible. But don't think criminal law. This is not a lawyer from the courtroom. His specialist subject is the Old Testament. He is a religious expert. And he seems to be pretty good at his job. He seems to know his stuff. In fact, he is so confident in his own ability that he comes to Jesus with a question because he wants to test Jesus, which is interesting. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if I can paraphrase Jesus, Jesus essentially says, well, listen, you're the expert, you're the lawyer, what do you think? It's verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the religious lawyer answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now in some ways, in some ways, that is a really good answer. In fact, on another occasion, when Jesus is asked how he would sum up the law of the Old Testament, he gives exactly the same answer. So this religious lawyer has understood that that all the rules of the Old Testament were really driving towards two things, loving God and loving others. And so Jesus replies, verse 28, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So not only does the lawyer know the Bible, notice as well that he asks a good question. That's our second point today. He asks a good question. Remember what he asked? What must I do to inherit eternal life? So here's a guy who is interested in eternal life. And maybe that puts him a few steps ahead of some of us watching today. We tend to be so preoccupied with life, so busy with the day-to-day stuff, with the here and now, you know, the, the car, the house, the kids, the job, the stress, the health, that so many people just don't give any thought to spiritual things, let alone eternal life. I guess COVID ought to have done us a favor in this regard. COVID has brought death home to roost in a way we've seen daily infection rates and daily death tolls plastered all over the news every day if nothing else it should have reminded us of that thing that really we knew all along but kind of had pushed out of our mind that all of us are going to die and so all of us ought to be concerned about what lies beyond death So this guy asks a good question. He is concerned about eternal life. He wants, to, he wants to know how he can be sure of heaven and sure of avoiding hell and judgment. How he can be sure of eternal life with God forever. It's a good question. But our lawyer asks his good question with a wrong intention. That's our third point. Look at verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
Now, we've already seen that he's only asking this to test Jesus anyway. Maybe he's trying to catch him out. But now we discover, verse 29, that he wants to justify himself. He wants to show that he has been good enough and done enough to earn himself eternal life. But perhaps as he hears those words come out of his own mouth about loving God completely and loving his neighbor, perhaps he begins to feel the weight of those words as well. Perhaps he begins to realize he hasn't done that. And so he says, well, who is my neighbor? It's as if he's saying, Jesus, wow, I mean, loving God and neighbor, it sounds kind of taxing. Let's try and box it in a bit. Let's try and put a few limits on it. I mean, who is my neighbor after all? It's not everyone, surely. I mean, close friends and family, maybe. But let's try and keep this a small circle. I might manage to love them. In effect, he's saying, what's the minimum I can get away with? And still earn eternal life. You know, how few neighbors can I have, Jesus? There's a kind of selfishness to him. He's not really concerned about his neighbors. He's just concerned about justifying himself. But before we judge him too harshly, I guess we need to look hard in the mirror. Are we really so different? How many problems are we prepared to walk past on the street and just say, it's not my responsibility? I would put it to you that you and I are not so very different from the lawyer after all. And so to the lawyer and to us, Jesus tells this shocking story. That's number four. We finally get to the tale that Jesus tells, the good Samaritan. So, verse 30. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, the parable is is a fictional story told to make a point. That said, it's quite a plausible story that the road in question was notoriously dangerous. It was the perfect spot for a violent mugging. And so there lies this poor Jewish guy, now penniless, effectively paralyzed, completely unable to help himself. And if no help comes, he will die. But then help comes. Or so you think. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, like the lawyer, these are two religious men. They're also Jewish men, exactly the sort of men you might hope or indeed expect would help. But one by one, they make their excuses. Too busy. Too late for a meeting. What if it's a trap? And so they walk on by. And so still the man lies there, effectively paralyzed, completely unable to help himself. And if help does not come, he will die. Verse 
And then verse 33, the most shocking of twists. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now listen, most of you know this story far too well to be shocked. But this is a totally scandalous twist in the tale. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. It went way beyond just a friendly local rivalry. We saw this last week, do you remember? Jesus and his disciples arrived in a a Sumerian town and they were not welcome. Imagine the hatred between Serbs and Muslims in modern Bosnia. Or the historic hatred between Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland. Or the feuding between street gangs in New York. And you have some sense of the strength of the animosity between Jews and Samaritans. The hatred was a kind of toxic mix of politics and religion. The worst insult a Jew could give to another Jew was to call him a Samaritan. So make no mistake, our lawyer, who remember has not heard this tale in Sunday school, but is hearing it for the first time, would have been totally shocked at the emergence of a Samaritan as the hero. But the shock is not just that the Samaritan helps, I mean that's surprising enough, it's the extent of the help he gives that is so surprising. Verse 34 now. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he put two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Now, from what the experts know about the value of ancient currencies, the Samaritan probably paid for bed and board for the Jew for a couple of months. This is not just a helping hand to get back on the road. This is extravagant, over-the-top, costly, complete help. It's shocking. But it's also exposing. Number five, an exposing story. Remember, the lawyer wanted to justify himself. He wanted to show Jesus that he had done enough, that he deserved and had earned eternal life. He wanted to show Jesus that he had loved God and he had loved his neighbor. But this story exposes him because if this is what it means to love your neighbor... Well, the lawyer is not even close. And here's the thing. Neither are you. And neither am I. How many problems, how many people are we content to walk past? We're not even close. Let's be honest. Who can? Who does love their neighbor like this? This is an extravagant, costly love shown to a worst enemy. Who can honestly say that's how they live? You can't. Neither can I. In fact, nobody has ever lived like that. Except one. And that is Jesus himself. 
Jesus, who taught, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then as he was being killed on the cross by those enemies, prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's integrity. That's love for your neighbor. So ultimately, as you stand back from this story and ask, who is like the Good Samaritan? There's only one answer. It's Jesus. And that's our final point today. An unexpected savior. Just rewind to the lawyer's question one last time. It was a good question, even if he asked it with the wrong motives. He was right to be interested in eternal life. But there's also a problem, another problem with this question. I wonder if you spotted it. Look there in verse 25. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Read it again. What must I do to inherit Now, not so very long ago, we had a royal wedding. There's a lot of water passed under the bridge since then, isn't there? Now, it's especially unlikely, I suppose, now that Prince Harry will inherit the throne, especially now they're off stateside and have kind of left the royal family behind. But I, I'm not a constitutional expert, but I suppose it's probably just about still possible. You know, if something really dreadful did happen to every other member of the family who's in line to the throne, I guess it's probably just possible that one day he could end up king. But what about me? Will I ever inherit the throne? Some of you think that sounds like a dreadful idea. Probably it is. Of course not. My parents did look into my family tree. Um, I think some fisherman from Aberdeenshire was about as prestigious as it got. That's pretty prestigious, I know, in the eyes of some here. I cannot do anything to inherit the throne because that's just not how inheritance works. You are either in line to inherit or you're not. And safe to say, I am not. Now, it is possible that one day I might inherit a house, maybe even some possessions from my parents, if they choose to give them as a gift to me and my sister in their will. But not the throne. So can you see the mistake the lawyer has made? He thinks that he can do things to inherit eternal life. But it's just not how inheritance works. Jesus says you can have eternal life but you can only have it as a gift. Here's the shocking thing that almost everyone misses in this parable, in the story of the Good Samaritan. It's Jesus. He's the thing they miss. And we like to picture ourselves in the story as, as the hero, of course. That's how it goes. But if Jesus is like the Good Samaritan... Where should we see ourselves in the story? Not as the hero, no, but as the Jew. Fallen, helpless, by the side of the road. Unable to do anything. Certainly unable to earn eternal life. 
unable to help ourselves, heading for death and judgment if no help can be found. And in fact, far from being friends of God, the Bible says in our natural state, we are his enemies. How unexpected then, along comes our enemy, God himself, Jesus Christ. And he comes to rescue us. And his rescue is not just a helping hand back onto the feet, it is An abundant rescue, an extraordinary, shocking rescue. Like the Samaritan, Jesus rescues us at a very, very high price. And for him, it's not just two months' worth of wages, big as that was. For him, it is the price of his own life. He dies on the cross in our place for our sin. That is exactly what we will celebrate and remember as we take bread and wine. And because he has done that, he can offer you an inheritance, a gift. And what do you know? That gift includes eternal life with him forever. It also includes adoption into his family so that we can begin to grow in the likeness of God and his family. We can become, slowly but surely, more and more like Jesus. And as we become more and more like Jesus, what do we do? Well, we love God. And we love our neighbors. Even our neighbors who are our enemies. So if you're a Christian, this story does so many things for you. For a start, it shows you your inadequacy. We are far more like those who pass by. We are far more like the Jew who lies helpless and paralyzed than we are like the hero. And in doing that, the story points us to Jesus, who, remember, chapter 9, verse 51, is on the way to the cross. He is the only Savior. He is the real good Samaritan. This story does all that for us and more because once we trust in Jesus, we receive this gift of adoption into his family and the eternal life as our inheritance. Once we have that, once we belong to him, this story then does something else. It inspires us and teaches us. In Jesus' words, to go and do likewise. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus, who though he was rich in the courts of heaven, for our sake became poor. Lord, how we praise you that Jesus stepped down from heaven to earth to live among us to share our pain and our experiences but to go lower still he went to the cross Heavenly Father it is extraordinary to us that Jesus our good Samaritan would come to rescue us your enemies we who were far from you cut off from you in our sin 
how we thank you, Father, that in our helpless state, you took pity on us and came to save us. Father, as we now come to take bread and wine, we pray that you would help us to have a very deep sense of gratitude and of remembrance for all that Jesus Christ has done for us in the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood on the cross. For any here today or watching today who are yet to receive this gift of forgiveness and new life in Christ, Father, we pray that today would be the day that they too would see their need to come humbly to you, that they would bow before you, seeing their own helplessness, trusting in Jesus to save them. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.